Johnny's. It's Wednesday the 23rd of November and this is Game On. Coming up today, another big shock in the World Cup but this time Japan counts late to beat Germany. And it's all over and this World Cup delivers another sensational shock result and for the first time in World Cup history Germany suffer consecutive World Cup defeats. I'm going to say George, half time I didn't see it coming I just didn't think Japan had enough about him but give the manager credit, he made the changes Changes turned the game in their favour. Conan Byrne and Fergal Brennan are along shortly to discuss that. Plus, I'll ask if the Glazers can find new owners for Manchester United. In basketball, Irish players Bridget Hurley and Dana Finn are in studio ahead of this weekend's big Euro basket qualifier. And we have another €400 Euro to give away as we build up to the PWC Camogie All Stars. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. <laughs> Now, welcome along. I am going to start with the fantastic competition that we have, the PwC Camogie All-Stars competition. So how would you like to be in with the chance to win €400? What about €3,000? Well, listen to this. The PwC Camogie All-Stars take place this Saturday at Crow Park, where the Players of the Year in all three grades will be announced. Celebrating excellence in Camogie, the awards are all about recognising the country's top players. So, we want to know... Who would make your Camogie team of the year? Head across to rte.ie forward slash GAA and just for voting, we'll enter you into the draw where you could win yourself that amazing €3,000, all thanks to PwC. We'll announce the winner before the end of Friday's show. And to be in with the chance of winning that €400 today, thanks to PwC, simply text us now on 51552 and tell us who your Camogie standout player of the year is and why. Include your full name, county and email address in your text. And as always, competition, terms and conditions apply. See 2fm.ie. Now, we are going to get straight into the football. Conan Byrne is with me here in studio. Conan, there seems to be a shock now every day. We're, we're being treated to shocks every day and today yeah Germany dished it out to us yeah I don't I wouldn't put it as a big bigger shock than the Saudis beating Argentina though um, it is a big shock at half time I thought the manager was playing a bit of damage limitation in terms of the substitution that he made and um, bringing on Tomiyasu a centre back for a left winger um, but he made a couple of more changes after the hour mark and and they instantly worked Minamino came on um, kind of combined with Duan for the goal brilliant finish and then Azano with the winner it's uh, incredible really now it was very very poor defending from a German mm-hmm. point of view I thought Neuer was really poor for it he jumped he kind of ducked out of the way of the, of the strike but really poor defending but Germany would be kicking themselves with the amount of chances they had in the game not to, to go at least 3-0 up at half time yeah, that's a bit like the Argentina game, although they didn't have those uh, disallowed goals. Uh, Fergal Brennan is with us here as well. Um, Fergal, just on the, the Germany game today, it just felt like that as soon as Japan decided they were going to start playing, Germany didn't know what to do with themselves. No, and that that's probably the big takeaway that Hansi Flick will be speaking to his players about tonight and, and tomorrow when they try and go back to the drawing board in training and, and look to build towards that big game that they've got coming up against Spain. And the game effectively was won by Japan in the last 20 minutes. I think the substitutions that they made, the two guys that came on, both scored. That's a huge tick for the manager. He'll be delighted with that. But I think I would agree with Conan. The missed chances will come back to annoy um, Germany. Obviously, they were hoping that it won't come back to bite them in terms of the competition as a whole. But Japan just picked their time perfectly. And I think we've seen that 
a few times so far in the World Cup of teams that are the unfancied one in the game, just staying patient, just waiting and realising there will be an opportunity for them to either break, for them to either get a goal from a set piece or or impact it. And Japan are a very good side and particularly the, the irony here with Germany, they have set, I think they have eight Bundesliga players in the squad, seven of them featured today and the two guys that came off the bench play in the Bundesliga. Now that, that must be a real bugbear for Germany that it's almost the kind of undone from within. Um, but they were excellent. They deserved it. And ultimately, we've seen we've seen kind of two contrasts so far in the World Cup. Teams winning by a huge amount of goals or nil-nils or super narrow games. If the big teams are not going to score that second goal, we saw it with Argentina, mm-hmm. we've seen it again today with Germany, the opportunity will be there. And Japan are a very capable side and probably just deserve to pinch it. Okay, well, as you said, Japan deserve a huge amount of credit for their performance today and their attitude as well. Uh, let's hear from their captain, Mayo Yoshida, after the, from after the game. Big, big win, massive win, but just one win. So still, we have to we have to make good the game and two, two more games. It's still tough, so we need to get a good recovery and uh, be, pre- be prepared well against Costa Rica. But yeah, it's amazing. We know how you can play. You're very defensive in the first half. Mariasi changing it all up in the second half. Was that always the plan? Was that a tactical masterclass? Of course, the plan was not conceding the first goal. But still, if we are 1-0 down, we have uh, the good potential players in the winger attacking attacking side. Second half, we knew that uh, the more space coming and we made good results. It was unbelievable, unbelievable, the huge, massive result. But as I say, still one game, so keep going. Dayan, they call him the Japanese Messi already. What are they going to call him now? Stay calm, stay calm. It's not, it's, we have to be humble. We have to be very carefree still. And the same like Saudi Arabia, we watch the game a little bit and we, we know the result. Even when it was down, they make good results. So why not? We can make it. So we, we did it. Very happy. Okay. You can be humble. You've got to talk me through the goals. First of all, Dayan's first goal, that goal. Talk us through it and what it means. Talk us through Dayan's goal. Uh, we uh, That was the plan. Like, the subs make some difference and he was preparing very well. He had a difficult time uh, last year but still he made a good challenge in the flyball, doing well and uh, I knew that he made good results. So very happy for him, very happy for Takuma Asano as well. It's struggling after the injuries and, uh, the, and also under pressure, the strikers, we didn't, cons- we didn't score a lot through the qualification but he made a good result. That was a bit of a long goal celebration when you still had quite a few minutes on the clock. He ran the whole pitch. Just wasting the time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you're being very measured, quite rightly so, but what's your message to the fans at home that are going crazy in Japan? Yeah, uh, this is the beauty of uh, football and sometimes it's happened and now the just spotlight is on our side. So time to dance. I love that from him there, Conan. Time to dance. I'd say everybody in Japan is just gone bananas. Absolutely, yeah. And it's funny, like only two players um, since the last World Cup has retained their positions. And one of them has been Maya Yoshida. A hugely influential player amongst the Japanese squad. Um, 
However, they're from four of those key players that played in from in 2018 are playing huge supportive roles this season in this year's World Cup. They're not playing as much and they're doing it without complaints as well. And that comes from the manager Moriyasu. He was criticised by for finishing fourth in the recent Tokyo Olympics. Obviously, a nation that was looking for gold, they didn't get it. Um, but his aim four years ago when he took the job was to was a complete rebuild on a new generation of players. And um, sounds familiar. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so give it, give it time, Marie. Give it time. Um, so yeah, he's got huge success. Three domestic titles as well with Hiroshima. Some similar story as well, you might add. Um, so yeah, I, um, he started his whole regime by putting faith in 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 Tomiyasu, who I mentioned only came on at half time, but he usually starts him in in games, and he's only 20, um, at twenty years old, and um, he brought him on at half time in a more defensive role. They changed from a flat back four to a three at the back, uh, well a five at the back. Um, with three centre halves, and uh, it worked really, really well up until the the, sub, the, the, the main substitutions with Dayon and Minamino coming on, um, and I always thought that goals would be a problem in this Japanese side, mm-hmm. um, and the two goals they got, um, instinctive finishes, and more of that to come hopefully in the in, in the coming games. So Fergal, what about Germany? I know there wasn't a lot of talk about them heading into this tournament, and they maybe haven't been as strong as they were, but still at the same time you know there was um, there was a little bit of expectation on them where do they go from here? I mean I don't think there'll be any cause or any chance that they'll be panicking I know this is Hansi Flick's first tournament in charge of them it's about finding a balance between the experience that they've got Neuer Kimmich Gundogan Muller I know he didn't start today and kind of marrying that up with the exciting young players they've got, Nabri, Musaila, Leroy Sane in that bracket, but he's he's still someone that is a very exciting forward-thinking player, Kai Havertz as well. At the moment, there seems to maybe be a little bit of a gap. You, you, sometimes you need one or two players, kind of 26, 27, 28, to kind of carry that bridge between, let's not panic, this is a huge tournament, but also don't be afraid to be the breakout young star of this competition. Japan have got individuals that can do both. I think in terms of what the selection will be for the Spain game, they need a couple of players that that can make that bridge. Um, I think it's a bit too one-dimensional to just say they missed too many chances today. That's that's the big problem. They are got, That is going to happen. They're going to come up against teams like Japan who <clears throat> will make things difficult for them and they just have to stay calm. And if they miss three, four, five, they have to make sure that the sixth one goes in because they can't afford to let this happen again. Spain are going to be a much harder proposition. We've just finished watching them mm-hmm. batter Costa Rica 7-0. Um Germany have to react because the group stages are so quick fire you lose the first game you're already under big pressure and they've lost a game that they expected to win maybe that was part of the problem they would have expected to win worst case scenario get a draw against Japan now they're in a position where they're down Spain have won they're in the box seat to get top spot in the group Japan are ahead of them in terms of second place as it stands. So they need to react. They could maybe do with the Costa Rica game in the middle so they could get that box ticked. But if they don't get something from the Spain game, at least a point, I think it could be another group stage exit for them. Yeah, that Spain game is going to be absolutely huge on Sunday. Conan, we've just watched them. They scored seven goals against Costa Rica. It was a bit of a walk in the park for them. Is That's probably a bit of an understatement. I think Fergal pretty, probably put it the, the best way when he said they battered them. But um, were you impressed with them overall? I was. Um, 
I think you have to look at the opposition as well, though, mm-hmm. um, in terms of Costa Rica. I think five, five, five of their starters play in the domestic league in Costa Rica. Um, so I wouldn't... Look, I'm not going to go over the top on Spain. I think they were very, very impressive. They passed the ball around really, really well. You have Gavi and Pedri and Carlos Soler coming, on, coming off the bench as well to treat fantastic players. Um, Marcus Llorente didn't even didn't didn't make anything. Uh, didn't come on. Defense has only conceded five goals in qualifying. They're not going to concede against the Costa Rican team that hardly got into their into their half. Um, I don't think Costa Rica had a shot. <laughs> and that's just in terms of the control that Spain had. Now, mm-hmm. again, the manager Luis Fernando Suarez he started with a four in midfield, and when you start with a with a blanket four across the middle against Busquets, Pedri, and Gavi and Gavi. You're, you're going to struggle. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it took him about 25, 30 minutes to change it into it and put three in the middle. And um, yeah, it was just, it was, the right was on the wall early, from very early on. And even the, the lads in commentary were, were commenting on how the, the quality of how Spain were against the inferior opposition mm-hmm. of, of Costa Rica. It was really, it was, it was men against boys. I was curious to see how Pedri was going to go. Fergal, so much talk about him heading into this tournament and he looks right at home anyway. He does and we got a taste of that in the in the Euros last summer. He's a teenager playing as if he's in his late 20s and he's he's got the full package. He's, he's more powerful than he looks. He can get forward. He's so comfortable on the ball and I think that pivot either side of, of Busquets, of him and Gavi who, who got himself a goal today as well is, is brilliant and they're they're kind of bringing the Barcelona feel back to Spain. Mm. We associate Spain's success in 2008 to 2012 surrounded by that Barcelona team, particularly with those players in, in the middle of the pitch. And Pedri maybe in some senses doesn't get the headlines in the way Gavi does, certainly in the last 12 months. I think Gavi, because he gets forward a bit more, he got a goal today, as I mentioned, and that's something to be balanced against. But in terms of two young midfielders as a pair, at an incredibly similar age with with the best part of a decade in front of them other than maybe Camavinga and Schumeni for France mm-hmm. you'd really struggle to uh, to to kind of think of a comparable example just one on on uh, Gavi that I spotted before his goal today he's the third youngest ever world cup goal scorer the youngest since Pele and uh, he's the 10th youngest world cup appearance maker so it was a hell of a day for him uh, in and 7-0 and 3 points yeah, it was, uh, they were a joy to watch today, like just entertainment all around. Uh, tough one for Costa Rica. But when you get a win like that and you're going up against Germany who have been burnt, uh, Conan, in ways it can be a recipe for disaster? <laughs> Possibly, because as, as Fergal mentioned, Germany aren't going to panic mm-hmm. in the game against them on Sunday. It's going to be, um, and the Germans never panic. Um, the form of the Germans going into the into this competition has been poor anyway. They've had four consecutive draws. Um, they have avoided defeat to the Netherlands and England. Um, and it's some of these players, swan song as well in the World Cup, the likes of Manuel Neuer possibly, Thomas Muller, Ilkay Gundogan, um, Marco Royce. So, and with, them, with the fact of them holding the Euros in a couple of years' time as well, it's nearly like this tournament is a free hit um, in the sense that they are opened up their new central campus in Frankfurt as well. Um, so everything domestically is going really, really well for them in terms of infrastructure, um, players coming through. So and with them hosting the Euros in in, in a couple of years' time, it, 
now's the ideal opportunity for yeah. Hansi Flick to, to, to really put his mark on this team because he'll want to be in charge of them in, 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 his, home, in his home country in a couple of years time um, now having said that I thought some of their players were excellent today They're just the end product was Burke mm-hmm. and Abri was good I thought Jamal Musiala was absolutely superb um, he's a game changer with his technical ability on the ball but with Spain and coming into the uh, coming into the game and how well they did um, and the form that they're in um, it's going to be very very difficult for Germany to to come out on top um, I think the best result that they can get I, I, I believe so far is a, is a, is a draw Fergal, there was another game uh, early this morning, a 10 o'clock game, and it saw Morocco and Croatia finish nil all. wasn't the best game that we've seen of the tournament. Both sides only had two shots on target, but it was Croatia who very much dominated the possession, 65% of it, and they made 642 passes uh, to Morocco's 348. Um, Was there anything that you took away from it that you thought maybe uh, Croatia or Morocco has a, a bit of potential in this tournament? I think Croatia's trump card is the experience that they've got. We think back to the last couple of tournaments and how good they've been. And they, again, mentioning that word calmness again that we associate with Germany, Croatia have got that in, in absolute excess. I think the difference with this in comparison to, say, Germany against Japan is they were just unable to break through that block that Morocco had in front of them. Morocco were really, really limited. And Croatia, for all the possession and little bits and pieces where you thought they might be able to find a little way through and, and get a shot off and maybe create one chance, they didn't. We've obviously seen quite a few nil-nil draws so far in the World Cup. But I think in terms of progressing into the last 16 and then looking to push a little bit further on, you need to be at least threatening in these games. If you can't win it and just get that one goal, get that one nil win, you at least need to be showing that you've been frustrated rather than that you've just not really tested at a pretty inferior opposition. And that was the case today. I do think Croatia might have an issue in terms of scoring goals. Fantastic midfield still with with Luka Modric right in the middle of it. But in terms of where they're going to get their goals from, which is maybe a common theme for a lot of the teams that you're looking at to be in a position to maybe go on and win it, they seem to be a real stark example of lots of possession, lots of creativity. But where do the goals come from? And the answer from today is nowhere. Belgium, Canada tonight, depending on how that goes, Croatia could be at a bit of a disadvantage. But the the old adage, the old cliche, however you want to put it, don't lose your first game. They've not lost. They've mm-hmm. got a point. It wasn't the most exciting. It was pretty dull this morning having breakfast. But uh, they, they haven't lost. They've got a point and they, they, they'll just look to roll on again. Conan, I know you're a teacher. <laughs> Are you thrown on the World Cup with every opportunity for the students? Um depends whether my principal is listening in. <laughs> <laughs> my, my little six-year-old went in yesterday and asked his teacher could they could he watch the Argentina game and she said go down to the principal and ask and off he trotted and they said yeah and they put on the Argentina game for the senior infants. <laughs> yeah I'm not being I'm, I'm being harsh there yeah it, it is being it is going on in, in the schools but like with, with with schools you can actually do, use integration in subjects for mm. for some of these like data you can do stats and everything yeah. and games and, and give them a and player the each and yeah. see how much yeah. passes they, they create the game so it's oh, not you've all, it all figured out have it all figured out you know <laughs> but, um, so did you get to watch any the, this morning's 10 o'clock game I didn't I only got, I got the highlights when I came yeah. home but I was, I was fascinated to see because I, I do think Morocco Morocco are a good side Marie mm. they've got some very very good players they sacked their coach only three months ago before the World Cup and the person they, they brought in Walid Ragragru he's he's won a Champions League in Africa um, and he's he's 
got he's integrated all the players that the previous managers felt fallen out with. So the likes of um, Hakim Ziyech and Hakimi from Paris Saint Germain, mm. they've all been brought back in, and, and not that they were excluded from the previous but the previous manager, but they just weren't getting on. Um, and their their campaign has been absolutely remarkable: six wins from six, twenty goals scored, one conceded. And as I said, the players that they have at their disposal are really good. They're really talented. They 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 play at a high standard and high. Like the, the two centre halves today, Roman Sice plays in an uh, Aguard. They both play in the Premier League. Um, Hakimi obviously plays at mm-hmm. PSG. Fiorentina and Angers in in France for the two central midfielders, and then you have um, a Nessery up front from Seville. So you have players players there that are of a high standard that could possibly go under the radar a little bit. And they did they did very very well against Croatia today because as Fergal said, they were solid at the back and they needed to be. But then again, they're coming up against a Croatian attack. That doesn't score goals. They left Marko Pasalic on on uh, on the bench. He only brought him on at half time, um, and they did get a bit of impetus after the, after the break, but it just wasn't enough for to break them down. We're going to look ahead to the seven o'clock game um, in a little bit when we get um, when we get some team news. But I do that's between Belgium and Canada. I do want to have a quick chat about France because we were off air last night when they um, were playing against Australia. Fergal, it was kind of routine after that that opening goal for Australia. Um, can we read much into French, the, that French form just given the fact that um, Australia didn't put up a huge amount of a challenge? I think we can to an extent. They did respond to a setback. They fell behind early on. They lost Lucas Hernandez to a serious yeah, injury. They've had... Know. An absolute horror show in terms of injuries building up to the World Cup. They're they're losing players almost every few days. That's obviously going to have an impact, not just on squad morale, but on Didier Deschamps' plans, particularly when you're talking about players that were important for them in 2018, in in Pogba and Kante, and then players that are important for them now, Benzema, Hernandez last night going off. I think they have got so much quality that there did seem a bit of an eventuality about it. I think... Maybe a bit harsh on Australia in the end, although they did wilt in the second half in, in terms of putting it up to France. Um, every team that is in the running to win this competition, the first game is very important. You want to go out and make a statement. You, you want to avoid a Germany or an Argentina situation, obviously. But you also want to kind of put your shoulders back, put your chest out and say, you know, there's a reason why we, we are in the four or five teams that are expected to go on and win this. And it's a measure of just the depth of talent that France have got, despite those players that are not available. The team that they put out last night is as good as the majority of teams that are in the World Cup, and that's that's probably their strongest um, card to play in this situation, that even if they do miss players, the players they've got that can back up, either whether they came into the squad earlier on or players off the bench, they're so, so strong. And I think Olivier Giroud, he's in that almost a little bit of a Miroslav closer vibe about him in that he, he's obviously not being mentioned in the same conversations as as Karen Benzema or, or other strikers. But when France have needed him time and again, he's come up with important goals, matched um, Thierry Henry's all-time record for France last night. And he will be important for them. And I think the, the role that he plays, very selfless, that will really help the players around him, Mbappe, Griezmann and, and Dembele, because... They need a focal point that gives them the space that they want to run into, to look to take players on. And they were really good as a unit last night. And that's what will be France's big thing. I think at the back, they were probably a bit better than expected. Mm-hmm. Um, really impressive. And, and I think 
I suppose when you kind of throw it all together, arguably the most impressive performance so far. England were obviously very good, but Iran were poor. Spain against Costa Rica. Costa Rica were very poor. I'd say Australia were probably the best opponent of those three in, in terms of a dominant win for a fancied side. So as it stands now, I would probably say France have been the most impressive when you bring all of those variables together. Conan, would you agree? I would, yeah. Um, a lot of talk about about Adrian Rabiot and mm-hmm. Chouamini in the middle about whether or not they're good enough to um, compete as a two in the middle in the middle of the park as World Cup winners. Um, so time will tell over that. But I thought they dominated the, the area really, really well. I thought Kanate and Upa Meccano did really well um, at the back. Um, obviously, the goal they conceded is a bit disappointing for them, but it, it might prove a, a wake-up call. Um, but their attacking threat is just frightening. We talked about Spain earlier on, but the likes of Kylian Mbappe and Munwing and Dembele and the other that and Dembele gets creates so many chances for his teammates, even even with Bar- with Barcelona um, and with Giroud. He just scores goals. He's just for with it at international level, obviously level on points with Thierry Henry, mm-hmm. um, level on goals with Thierry Henry, and. Um, Obviously, he's got. He, well, he should um, break that record now in, in the next couple of games. Yeah, I do like Giroud, I have to say. Um, and I did hear Virgil van Dijk say that he was one of the trickiest players he ever played against. So uh, that was quite an interesting one. Uh, Fergal, before we uh, move on from football, Manchester United is officially for sale. It has been quietly, uh, well, the Glazers have been quietly trying to find a buyer for it, but have very publicly now put the, the club up for sale. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I think this is a different situation to the one that we chatted about a few weeks ago in relation to Liverpool and Mm. what their plans might be for for selling Liverpool Football Club. I think this is more of an open push from the Glazers to say we are willing to to sell up. They can frame it as strategic alternatives or different financial structures. No, I think for want of a better explanation, I think they've realised that they're not welcome as mm-hmm. club owners anymore, that it's not as simple as investment in, in players or or other bits involved with the club. The fan base for a very long time have not wanted them involved. And I think they have now sat down, done the sums and, and realised that they're not making the money as much as Manchester United fans won't like to hear it. The Glazers want to make money from Manchester United. I don't think they're making the money they anticipated. They're still making money, of course, huge sums of money. Um and that's the big motivation for this. Obviously, speculation will, will be thrown wide open over who might take over. Sir Jim Radcliffe, who's, I think, the richest man in the UK, is uh, is one of the names. He was mentioned for Liverpool and then said no. Um, it'd be interesting to see how this rolls because Manchester United are obviously an enormous global brand, but the reputational and financial damage that the Glazers have done doesn't make it an instantly attractive mm. proposition for a buyer. Um, so that that will need to be addressed before someone comes in and buys them. Yeah, Conan, it's a club in decline, really, and and even the physical aspect of it. Like you go to Old Trafford, I was there during the Women's Euros, and the stadium is just falling down around people almost. You know, you can tell there's been no investment whatsoever. Um, so I don't know how attractive it is from from that point of view when you're you're okay, you're buying a huge brand, but it does need to be built back up again. Yeah, like it's been a decline for the last what, 10 years. I know Alex Ferguson won the league in 2013. <clears throat> Probably his greatest feat was winning that league with, with, with the squad that he had at that time. But even even when you look at it, as you mentioned the stadium, as you mentioned earlier on, I'm a teacher, so I always go in and go by how the young people of our generation and who they support 
No, nobody supports Manchester United <laughs> so, right, in, yeah. in, the, in, in primary school anymore. Yeah, and if they and, do, they get slagged, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I notice that a lot. <laughs> so like, yeah, you're hearing the likes of Liverpool or, and, Man and, City. and Man City, yeah. some Spurs. PSGs. Yeah, there is. There's yeah, the uh, European leagues yeah. that, are, that are coming out now with the likes of Mbappe and, and Messi, Barcelona's. But very rarely do you hear a child in primary school level saying Manchester United. And I think that's the big thing that mm. they'll need to change going forward. And they'll need to bring in investors that are going to be that are going to love the game of football and look at the World Cup at the moment where there's people getting into politics but there's obviously people that are, that don't love football for mm-hmm. what it is um, and I think Manchester United, Manchester United need to go back to basics in the sense that whoever comes in good recruitment because it's been really poor the reputation of the club is on its knees as well and as you as you mentioned, it's a declining stadium and, and and overall decline, and it's really really poor to see. Yeah, it, it is. Um, Fergal, just one other thing as well. Uh, we well we people were a little bit worried about uh, Harry Kane and his injury. Jordan Pickford was out facing the media today, and he said he's grand, he's on training, and all looks to be to be fine. Is that the reality of the situation? I think so. Yeah, there's always alarm bells when you you tell England fans that there could be an important player missing for a World Cup game. He did get two pretty heavy knocks uh, against Iran um, and he seemed to shake them off. I think this is a, a precautionary situation. I think England and Gareth Southgate will do everything they can to make sure that he's fit. Um, I would say a lot of it will be result dependent. I think we could definitely see if England are doing well against the USA that he might come off. Likewise against Wales. But we're in a almost, not quite to the knockout stages yet but the World Cup is a is a, a tournament that changes very quickly. I think if there's an option to rotate him off, I think there's enough depth on the bench that England can manage the final half an hour of a game if they're, if they're in a strong position in order to rest him, rest his ankle, um, because he is so important for England. OK, Fergal Brennan, uh, thank you as always for joining us today. Conan, stay with us though. Um, I want to look ahead to that Belgium-Canada game towards the end of the programme. We have a bit to go between then though. We have Kier McGeehan and we're also going to be talking to two of Ireland's female basketball players. RTE 2FM Game on on 2FM Welcome back. Today, Greg Allen caught up with Kira McGeen, who was awarded Athlete of the Year at the 123.ie National Athletics Awards. Kira McGeen, Athlete of the Year. Uh, you've had a brilliant year. Just tell me, just what does it feel like to have had the year to be recognised like this and just to be, I suppose, at the end of a year and looking back? Yeah, I, do you know what? It's, I feel like this is the, this is the season that, um, that I'll always look back on and, and kind of feel like, pinch me, was that real? Um, and it's amazing to realise that when you're in the motion moment because I suppose whenever I was a junior, I always thought like this, this is always going to be the case. I had season after season of success and success and it was always an upper tangent. But I suppose the career that I've had since then, knowing the ups and the downs that an athletics life will throw at you, um, makes me realise just how special this summer was. So to come away with two medals, to get the Irish 1500 metre record and, and to be recognised in front of a room full of my peers in Irish athletics, people who have seen me running since I was a youngster, people who are there to help me up whenever I fall and um, the people that understand exactly what it takes to be where I am it's something truly special and um, I'm really grateful to to get these awards this, today and, um, and I'm really happy with the season that I've had. How do you analyse the season you've had because clearly you're 30 years of age and you've had the best season of your life by a long way but you were a world-class junior this was in a way your destiny it's just taken a long time to get here. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. And really interestingly, listening to everybody speak throughout today, um, there's a real message that resonated with me throughout that of them, them talking about their love and their passion for it, that they never really... There was never any question of doubt in their heads that they were going to go and they were going to keep pushing. And for me, that was also the case. I knew that what my potential was, I just always hoped that I would have the opportunity to fulfill it. And I think that's probably would have been one of my biggest regrets after my athletics career if I didn't feel that I reached my full potential. I think going and running 356 really showed that I, can, that I have and that I can. Um, I'm not finished yet. I feel like I can still go out and be competitive and hopefully try to get faster and continue being competitive on a world stage. But yeah, it's not been a smooth road from that, that glistening junior career. But all of that past and all of those races, the ups and the downs have made me the athlete and the person I am today. And, you know, maybe I wouldn't have had the season that I've had if it wasn't for those occasions too. And um, those hard times make this one even the more sweeter. So two silver medals, one in the Commonwealth Games, one in the European Championships, both behind the great Laura Muir, let's face it, that's what she is, the Olympic silver medalist. Uh, they were inspiring, but that 3.56 you mentioned, for those not versed in 1500 metres speak, 3.56 is a holy grail time. It's sub four minutes, and it's well sub four minutes. It's one of the fastest in the world, and that's where you are now. You've joined the elite of 1500 metre world-class running. What does that feel like now going forward as well? It's very exciting. Um, for me, I always felt that I was capable of running that. I always knew that I could run. I felt I could always run a 3.57. That Irish record was in my sights, and I knew that I was capable of doing that. I think I remember chatting to my boyfriend, thinking, OK, I feel like maybe I can run 3.56 in my life. And if I ran that, you know, I'll retire happy. I have no notions of retiring yet. But for me, that's given me a whole new realm of confidence because there's one thing believing that I have the potential to do that and it's another thing going out there and doing it on the track. And having done it, having raced some of the best athletes in the world, and particularly in those two diamond leagues at the end of my season, and beating them with only Faith ahead of me, who is arguably the greatest 1,500-metre runner the world has ever seen. Faith Kipiegon. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, I feel very, I feel very confident off the back of that season, and I'm hoping that I can keep, take that confidence on into the next season. Really use this as a springboard. For me, I'm really on a high. I'm feeling, I'm feeling very proud of the achievements that I've done, and I'm excited as well about what's to come. Those two silver medals in the green singlet of Northern Ireland in the Commonwealth Games, and of course, in the Irish singlet at the European Championships, just behind Laura Muir, so close to Laura Muir in a championship race. What did that feel like? It was uh, invigorating, to say the least, to be able to, to, to run a race, to go out and to really take the bull by the horns and challenge it. Um, I knew that I could go out and I could race for silver or I could go out and I could race for gold and I tried my, my damnedest to go out and race for gold. Um, you know, to come away with a medal, to stand on the podium and to see your flag rise, it's, it's everything I do athletics for. It's, that's the reason why I started this sport. I wanted to win medals and I wanted to see the tricolour go up. And to be able to do that, to be able to represent Northern Ireland and Ireland in the same year, it's a very special occasion for me. Um, and to be able to, to make everybody at home really proud. Kira McGeehan, silver medalist in two championships and a Diamond League winner. Congratulations on your 2022. Thanks so much, Greg. Thank it's not just electric, it's a Mercedes. Mercedes EQ, where luxury is reimagined for a sustainable world. Where iconic design satisfies your desire for better. Where reducing emissions is exciting 
And now, Mercedes EQ introduced the all-electric EQE. With an electric range of up to 631 kilometers, the EQE has intelligent driving systems that improve energy efficiency, giving you our most comfortable driving experience possible. The all-electric EQE by Mercedes EQ. This Black Friday, switch to Tesco Mobile and you can save an amazing $299.99 when you get the incredible iPhone 11 for free on our 30 euro plan. Visit us in-store or online. This is Supermarket Mobile. Tesco Mobile. Every little helps. Terms and conditions apply. Offer available to new Tesco Mobile customers who sign up to our 30 euro plan between 1st and 28th November. Minimum term 24 months. Subject to availability. Black Friday sale is now on at Harvey Norman. Get Black Friday discounts today. Save 190 euro on the GeoBook 120 laptop with a slim and compact design. Now 189. Or get the Samsung Galaxy Tab A8. Perfect for working or entertaining on the go. Now only 169. Save 70 euro. With our best prices guaranteed in-store and online. So why shop anywhere else? Don't wait. Now's the time to buy. The Harvey Norman Black Friday sale is now on. Don't miss out. Be in the now with the two Johnnies. Weekdays from three on 2FM. The Just Eat Awards are back for 2022. Championing hundreds of incredible locally loved restaurants. Have your say by voting for your favourite local and you could be in with a chance of winning free food for a year. And to celebrate the awards, we're giving away €1,000 worth of Just Eat vouchers every day on the show. That's with Drive It With The Two Johnnies all this week from 3pm. Now, Sunday's Euro Basket qualifier between Ireland and Netherlands at the National Basketball Arena is sold out, but we do have a pair of tickets to give away. So just head over to our Twitter page at GameOn2FM for your chance to enter. Now, I am delighted to be joined by Bridget Herlihy and Dana Finn to look ahead to that game. Uh, Dana and Bridget, you're both very, very welcome. Uh, Dana, to you first. Um, We've seen your career now over the last while, even though you're you're still very young and you've been playing basketball and uh, Gaelic football, but it's basketball for you now at the moment how's everything been going yeah um, thanks for having us yeah everything's been going great um, I suppose I'm playing with Trinity uh, Trinity Meteors at the moment so um, prep has been going well there and now we're into a week of camp before our game against the Netherlands so it'll be good to get going and get back into the swing of things with the girls um, but yeah so what's the, how does it work then? Do you just go into camp and train every day ahead of the game or, or what? Um, yeah, so at the moment we're in Wednesday to Sunday before the game. Um, the last two, three months we've had a kind, kind of every two weeks a session here and there. Um, we're all playing Super League so it's quite intense with training and games every weekend but we've got together um, the odd Sunday um, and we had great prep during the summer we went to Portugal um, to play um, so yeah we've had a lot of preparations um, previous to I suppose before the Super League started um, so we're into camp now from Wednesday to Sunday which is kind of light-ish training and uh, a few t- bit of tactical stuff before Sunday Does basketball dovetail nicely with Gaelic football? Uh, it does yeah it does <laughs> um, if your body's able I guess but um, yeah kind of kind of it's it's been intense the last two years just being away in Dublin um, when I was in Galway doing my undergrad it was it was quite easy to, to get to Mayo mm-hmm. and, and train during the week but uh, it's a bit trickier um, doing a Masters in that but um, yeah as you said basketball is, is the, the run of things now well it's absolutely lashing rain outside so I can never understand why more people in Ireland don't play basketball just given the fact that you can actually go inside Uh, Bridget you're very welcome Um, so tell us a little bit about you because you're not originally uh, from Ireland 
Yeah, no, I grew up um, in Boston to uh, an Irish dad, so that's how I'm able to be here now. But um, yeah, it's I'm I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited to finally get to play with this team. Uh, we like like Dana said, we had some games over the summer that we were able to play in and and get comfortable with each other. So I'm really excited to to put that on a more official stage now with the qualifiers. So what way does it work? Do you live in Boston and then come over? Um, not ex- so right now. I'm playing professionally in Sweden. So I only had to come oh, from I like Sweden. Story. It's, Go on. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit um, of an easier commute. Um, so yeah, the past two the past two seasons I've been playing in mainland Europe uh, during the during the professional season, and before that I was in uh, college at Villanova University. Oh, wow. Yeah. So is that the pathway that lots of um, maybe post college female players go? They go to to mainland Europe and, and see what options are there for them. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of opportunity to play after college in the in the United States unless you um, get drafted by the mm-hmm. WNBA. Uh, so a lot of people who do want to continue playing come over to Europe. Some people go to Asia as well. Um, but yeah, mostly, I would say mostly Europe. Okay, yeah. and why, why Europe for you? Um, I, it's something that I, I honestly didn't think I wanted to do. And then I took a year off of basketball and missed it a lot. And so I, I ended up finding myself an agent and... They found me my first team, which was great. So um, it, I didn't necessarily have a specific location that I was that I really wanted to play at, but um, I'm excited that I ended up where I did. Yeah, Dana, listening to that now and <laughs> seeing the girls over in Australia as well, there's a couple of options for you if you decide to go down the professional route. Yeah, yeah, there definitely <laughs> is. Yeah, um, I suppose. Yeah, those two things you just mentioned. Um, obviously, watching Bridget play in Sweden, and previously, um, there's a desire to go and play in Europe. Um, and also, um, the AFL would be um one that I'd love to do as well. So, um, yeah, I suppose the world is our oyster, as they say. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what the the future has to to come. But right now, I'm just focused on my masters and mm-hmm. um, the games ahead and uh, finishing the league with Trinity. It is pretty amazing, though, when you think of it, maybe to look back where, and we'll say the likes of Cora Staunton would have been playing for Mayo and, and would have been an idol for so many people that they, there wasn't a pathway. And I'm sitting here talking to you now, and you, you, if you wanted to, you could go down the pathway in, in two professional routes, which for women's sport is, it's pretty great that it, that progress has been made. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know when I was younger, I think there was never that... Um, going to play professional mm-hmm. I would have never I suppose have heard of it um, so I think yeah for women's sport and the girls in Australia are I suppose setting that pathway for for the people who want to go away and play for professional um, so yeah it's it's super and I think Cora Staunton is, uh, is flying it out there and just like all <laughs> the other girls so um, yeah it's it's great that it has come to the fore of sport um, and I suppose the only downfall is it's it's pulling all us Irish people mm-hmm. away from um, I suppose the, the GAA and the basketball but um if you can if you can balance them both and the seasons work out then then happy days but um yeah there's there's all positives mm-hmm. to it yeah because there's lots of people testing the water and trying to figure it out as they go along which is great because we're seeing 
the leagues progress and then seeing the girls either staying or, or dipping in and dipping out and it seems to be whatever works for whatever player is uh, is the way that they're they're going and, and choosing to to stick with the football so that's quite interesting yeah. so you do have some big games coming up um, so on Monday the FIBA Europe Executive Committee following the earlier removal of Belarus from Group 1 reduced uh, to three teams so they've decided that only the group winners from Group 1 will advance to the Women's Eurobasket 2023. You're currently third in Group 1 and must win both remaining games at home against Netherlands on November 27th and away against the Czech Republic on February, February 9th to stay in contention, Bridget. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I just heard about that as well. Um, I think it puts a lot of pressure on us, but I don't necessarily think a pressure is mm-hmm. always a bad thing. Um, I'm a firm believer in that pressure makes diamonds. So mm-hmm. I think that it gives us a really good opportunity to go out there, show what we have this Sunday and then again in February. So Dana, what's the the state of play for women's basketball here in Ireland? You're obviously playing in, in the top league, you're representing your country. How far, how much work needs to be done to get to a stage where you're regularly competing in, in these major tournaments? Well, there's, as Bridget said, there's no doubt that we have shown that we belong in this, mm-hmm. in this league. Um, so I think the last number of years um, we've been building and I think that comes from your underage um, developing as well so um, right now I think we're at a pretty good stage um, with the the international uh, squad we've had a kind of rollover of a number of players just between girls being away in the States um, and and different commitments but um, right now I think there's no doubt that we're well able to compete in this league um, and hopefully we can show that, showcase that on, on Sunday um, and give it a go Yeah and it's all that Tala as well that's, that's pretty cool um, so what kind of a challenge are you expecting now in these upcoming games Bridget? Um yeah, well, I, I wasn't here to play uh, in the last game against the Netherlands, but I have heard that they're very physical. Um, we're going to have to match that physicality. We're going to have to take our time on offense, do, run our plays, do, do, do what we do, kind of dictate the game ourselves. And I think that'll put us in a good position to, to win. Yeah. It seems like just looking at the the squad, you've got a really good mix of youth and experience among cap players and then players that have been around for a while, Dana. Yeah, for sure. Um, we have two uh, new uncapped players in, um, which will bring valuable um, young experience. And I suppose me talking from <laughs> young experience, I'm I'm young. Um, so I think, but in terms of experience, mm-hmm. I probably have more um, from being on all the underage teams and, and competing young with Ireland. Um, so yeah, it's it's great. Um, we've a, a good mix, and and as as I said, we just can't wait to get into camp and and, and get that uh, get the show on the road and and. Hopefully get a win on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, well, listening to, to both of you and, and seeing you here in front of me and, and you too, Bridget, and the fact that you've came over and, and you're playing in, in Europe, it feels like the, the future is looking pretty bright for Ireland women's basketball. Yeah, yeah. I've heard, again, I haven't been in Ireland basketball or basketball in Ireland for a while, but um, uh, I've heard that it's it's trending in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm really excited to hear about all the youth players and the youth programs that, are, are popping up and um, I think that it's good for Ireland and it's good for basketball on a world stage too mm-hmm. just getting younger people interested earlier um, will be good for the sport yeah 
you see it as well, Dana, because you're around um, the circuit. But I've boys playing in Aina, and when we go to train on a Friday night, there's as many girls playing there as there are boys, which I love to see. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's more so the case now than it was when mm-hmm. I was playing young. Um, I know even with the football, I used to it was mixed, and there used to be two girls, two tomboys, <laughs> <laughs> playing with the the guys. But um, yeah, it's it's great to see. Um, there's a, a huge influx of younger girls, mm-hmm. um, and I think the main thing is just keep the young girls interested um, and the boys like um, it goes on both um, sides so uh, yeah just interested and I think making sport sport most or more so fun at that age um, which w- you'll get the commitment then when, when it gets to elite level and it starts to get harder but um, yeah well it helps I think as well seeing you guys too and seeing the pathway and, and seeing the Super League doing well and you know having the games in the local clubs on the Friday nights all that just helps and, and builds towards a, a stronger core of players there for sure and I think more so than ever we've had like uh, younger clubs like even girls at home in, in Mary and in Kelchamaw would, would want to come to your games mm-hmm. would be looking for tickets and I think that's one thing you didn't feel as much um, when we were kind of under 18 or so we still were getting the support but I think the support from the younger girls and the younger generation is is what matters most because they're going to be at that stage eventually so Okay, well, guys, thank you so much for coming in. Um, Best of luck to you in the two upcoming games. And do please head over to our Twitter if you want to uh, win tickets to uh, Sunday's one in Tallis Stadium, which is sold out. Thanks a million. Thanks Thanks. for having us. RTE 2FM. Welcome back to the programme. Belgium and Canada is about to kick off. Conan Byrne is with me in studio. Conan, looking at the Belgium team flashing up on the screen. Um, Again, one of those teams not people aren't talking about too much, but I'm seeing Kevin De Bruyne there and Kevin De Bruyne in any team would... Oh, and Eden Hazard too. Yeah, Eden Hazard's captain um, this evening. He was announced captain yesterday going into this competition. And then you have the likes of Leandro Trossard on the bench as well. So he's uh, having a fantastic season with Brighton. Um, I just don't know with Belgium. No, Robert Mart- Roberto Martinez. He, he's openly said that the group of players can win a World Cup, mm. but there's a feeling this they might have missed out. Their their golden generation is kind of maybe gone the far side of being a golden uh, generation. What do you go from being gold to yeah, grey like generation? You, yeah, you'd love all the weird old at the back, along with Jan Vertonghen, who's mm. both of them are probably past their their um, their best years. Third place finish in 2018, obviously losing to to eventual winners France, um, like. Their midfield and, and, and forward options are very good, but they don't compare to Spain or Germany, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion. But yet, but yet they have probably one of the best players in the world, and De Bruyne, who can, who can, who is just so creative and, and, and really, really good. But what I've noticed about Belgium is that when the going gets tough, they buckle. Mm-hmm. And um, we saw that in the Nations League back in last last October when they were two 0 up against France and they lost three two. Um, the Nations League to their third place playoff, they lost two one. Um, they lost four one to Holland in June as well. Um, they're still ranked two in the world, but I think when, as I said, when they'll, they'll probably get out of this group no problem at all, and people will will, will say yeah they'll get to the semi final, the final, but it's just getting over that line, and they really struggle. Yeah, they're, to be fair, they're in a, probably one of the best groups that you could possibly be in. Um, Canada, Alfonso Davis is probably the most well known player in the side. A uh, bit of one of those one of those teams that have that mix of uh, youngsters and then some experienced veterans as well, and then throw in a star like Davies. Yeah, absolutely, and and with Davies, well, what impressed me about Canada is that he missed seven of the last fourteen. Uh, he only played seven of the final fourteen games of qualifying. Yeah, he obviously plays left back for his club, but with his country, he wants to play further upfield and show off that talent that he has. 
has further up the pitch and I don't know if anybody any of your listeners can remember the, the wonderful individual goal he scored against Panama in qualifying if you haven't have a look at it on YouTube it's absolutely superb but Jonathan David as well up front with Lille 10 goals already this season in Liga and um, have a if, if you're going to sit home and get a, get the get the tea out <laughs> and uh, have a look at Stephen Eustachio he's from FC Porto plays like Xabi Alonso and oh, nice. low line midfielder um, calm keeps the ball really really good so have a look out for him well, you told that very well to us Colin thank you so much for coming in and a big thanks to everyone as well who texted us in uh, for our competition to tell us who their Camogie standout player of the year was now it's time to pick one person randomly and give them that 400 euro thanks to PwC congratulations to Gary Creighton who says Hannah Looney of Cork deserves it even though they were runners up her dedication and passion to maintain standards on the pitch is absolutely amazing so if you missed out today don't worry because we'll be back doing it all again tomorrow and in the meantime head across to rte.ie forward slash GAA and get voting for who you think should make the Camogie team of the year